Well, it's good to be with all of you this morning. My name is uh, Trevor. I'm the lead pastor here at Risen. And let me just re-emphasize one of the announcements, which is our membership announcement. There comes a time where you would want to move from making this church just a church you're visiting, a church that you're showing up to, to becoming a part of the church. And so membership is an opportunity to make our church your church. And so we have two membership classes. Um, They're both single classes, so if you go to one, you don't have to go to both. But it's an opportunity for you to hear about why membership is important, why it is why God designed you to connect with a local body of believers. Um, That there's all of these one another passages in the Bible uh, in which we are to to love one another, serve one another, care for one another, encourage one another. And those one another's are designed to be lived out in a local church. And so um, maybe you're on the fences, maybe you've been visiting with us for a while. Um, We hope that if you're just visiting, you would feel extraordinarily welcome. Um, But if you've been with us for a while, I want to encourage you to take that step from going from just someone who's here um, as kind of a visitor to becoming a person who is a part of the community through membership. So uh, I want to announce that that's coming up in the first couple of weeks of June. All right. Man, it is good to be with you all this morning. Um, This morning we are talking about the ascension. Uh, Ascension. It is Ascension Sunday. By show of hands, how many of you knew that today was Ascension Sunday? Okay, well done, you. Fantastic. All right. That's what I thought. That's normal, and that happens. Um, This morning, we're going to look at the Ascension. We just finished four weeks on looking at some women of the Bible who are heroes, and uh, and next week is Pentecost, so next week we celebrate the, the Holy Spirit. We'll spend more time on the Holy Spirit next week, but this week is sort of in between um, the resurrection and, uh, and, uh, and Pentecost, so uh, this week is the Ascension. The Ascension is uh, Ascension Day, which is the day that the Ascension is normally celebrated, is on Thursday. It was a few days ago on Thursday. Show of hands, how many did anything special for Ascension, Ascension Day? Yeah, wonderful. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so, uh, but we as the church t- typically celebrate Ascension Day on the next Sunday, which is today, Ascension Sunday. Uh, and so that's where we will spend our time this morning. Let me, um, before we dive into the Ascension, just pause for a moment, and this is the question I have for you. Just take a moment and picture Jesus. Like right now, as you picture, picture Jesus in your mind and uh, just kind of hold that image of, as you're picturing Jesus, I want you to, I want to address what it is you may be thinking about when you're picturing him. Some of you uh, maybe grew up with an image of, you know, white, light brown, blue-eyed hair Jesus in maybe a, a, a relative's kitchen or house somewhere, and that becomes the sort of, that captures your attention. When you think of Jesus, you think of that. Um, but others of us, when we think of Jesus, will instantly go to Christmas time. We'll go to the baby in the manger, right? Um, little Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in the manger. And if when you think of Jesus, you think of a baby in a manger, that's a good thing. Because that is the incarnation. That is the Son of God taking on flesh. It's extraordinarily important um, to think of Jesus, when, to think of the baby in the manger. But... That's just the beginning of Jesus' story. 
And so most of you will not think just of the baby in the manger at Christmas time. Many of you will think of Jesus on the cross. And that's a good thing. In fact, it's, it's better than a baby because um, it shows why that baby came in the first place, right? The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the, the Jesus on the cross is a better picture than just Jesus as a baby, though that's important. The cross is important as well. However, some of you will picture Jesus on the cross, and that is also an incomplete picture. And that's because the same Jesus who was on the cross didn't stay on the cross, but was buried and then raised to new life. That Jesus did not just die. That Jesus, as we celebrated Easter Sunday, defeated death, came out of that empty tomb, and was resurrected. So some of you might picture Jesus resurrected and alive, maybe standing in a garden, maybe speaking to his disciples, commissioning them. Maybe that's how you picture Christ. But the Bible also wants to give us a picture of Christ right now. What is Jesus doing right now? Where is Jesus right now? If you are a Christian, then you believe that the resurrected Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. That's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And 40 days after Jesus resurrected, Jesus ascended which was a long time coming, and if you read through the Bible, you'll notice that Jesus regularly speaks of his ascension, of ascending. In John 6, he does it. When he's, after, after he's resurrected, he's with Mary in the garden, and he tells Mary, Mary, don't hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. In the fourth century, so long time ago, um, when Christians were celebrating the Christian calendar, one of the major feasts was the Feast of the Ascension. Now, I'll admit, just standing before you on Thursday, it was after dinner. I was, I was prepping this sermon, and it was Thursday, and I, at the end of my day, went, I didn't do anything to celebrate the Ascension. So you're not alone in not celebrating on Thursday, but this morning we are here to celebrate it. And it's something that's so built into the Christian faith that we say it in our creeds. In the Apostles' Creed, we famously say the third day Jesus rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So this morning I want to look at what does it mean and why is it important? And why when the Bible is telling the story of Christ, why does it say incarnation? Why does it say crucifixion? Why does it say resurrection? And then why does it say ascension? What, why are those components all there and all important? So if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to look at two verses. The ascension is mentioned a few times, but we're going to look at it in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11 will be the primary text driving our time together this morning. This is what it says in Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud 
took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus at this point has been talking to uh, his disciples. He's been giving them instructions. They have been encountering him over the course of 40 days after he had resurrected. And the disciples are obsessed with this question of whether or not Jesus will restore his kingdom to Israel. And Jesus tells them, it's not for you to worry about that, but instead you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you are going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the world. That's your task. That's your responsibility. And after Jesus had told them this, he was then in verse 9 lifted up. They were watching him, and all of a sudden, a cloud begins to surround Jesus, and he's lifted up, and he entered into heaven, and they just stare for a moment, because of course you would just stare. What's happening here? Where is he going? He had talked about this, but what is in, what's happening in this moment? And as they're staring into heaven, men in white robes say to them, why are you looking into heaven? He ascended and he will descend again. And so the question that we are confronted with this morning is, where is Jesus now? And what does this mean for us? And why is this significant? So this is what I'll, we'll spend our time on this morning. This will function as our outline. We'll talk first about the great place, then the great reunion, then the great king, then the great gifts, and lastly, the great promise. This will be how we will spend our time together thinking about the ascension. Let's begin by talking about the great place. Jesus resurrected and then he ascended, as the text tells you, into heaven. Now I know this goes without saying, but let me remind you, heaven is a real place. Jesus has a resurrected body and his real body right now is in a real place. Now, it's hard to grasp heaven. I get that. There's a writer years ago named Joseph Bailey who lost a few of his children um, before he was, you know, he lost, I think, at least three of his children. And Joseph Bailey has written kind of extensively about heaven, and he has this analogy that I always go back to when I think about heaven. Joseph Bailey said, imagine for a moment that you were living in Alaska and you were sort of... Um, you are a, a native Alaskan, and that's all you'd ever known, and you get a, a trip to visit Hawaii. And so as a native Alaskan, you head to Hawaii, and you taste pineapple for the first time ever. Then you get back on a plane, and you go back to your fellow people, and you're trying to explain to them what pineapple is like. And so you'd use words like, well, you know how we eat blubber? It's kind of like that, but it's yellow, 
and it's sweet. It's also tart. And if you eat a lot of it, it can kind of sting your mouth a little bit. Like, what would you be, like, what would you be thinking if you were trying to explain or understand pineapple for the first time? It would be incredibly hard to do. But that, that's, that's how I think it is to explain heaven to us. There's all this language in the Bible. Christ says that he is going to prepare a place for us uh, where his father's house has many rooms. Heaven is a real place where Jesus is now. When I was younger, evangelicals were often accused of talking about heaven way too much. In fact, the kind of common Christian kind of uh, 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 refrain was like, you, you accept Jesus so you can go to heaven. And then there became a pushback in when I was in my you know, 20s and 30s, which was about, no, heaven is really about now. It's about the life now with God now. And that's true, absolutely. But I sometimes get concerned that we will limit people's imaginations and we will, we will not help them see that this world as it is, is not all that there is. That you need the hope of knowing that heaven is real. That heaven is where Jesus is. And that if you are in Christ, one day you will be with him. Um, very famously this week, uh, Timothy Keller passed away uh, at the age of 72. One of the most influential people in my life. If you've never read anything from Timothy Keller, I would recommend his whole catalog. Reason for God, if you are unsure if you believe that God exists, you should read Reason for God. He's a New York City pastor with a real heart and compassion towards people who wrestle with these kinds of questions. Also, The Prodigal God, great book. But Timothy Keller had been wrestling with cancer for the last couple of years. And I read this quote from his that I just thought was glorious. He said, um, he said that the, the only thing death can do to the Christian the only thing death can do to the Christian is give them an infinitely better life. And, and that's true if heaven is real. Heaven is real. It is where Jesus is now. And when we think of heaven, we sometimes think of like states of being. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus has a physical body right now and is in a place right now embodied. But it's not just up there somewhere. Don't make the mistake of thinking that if we just, if we just got past Mars and, and past the solar, we would eventually get to heaven. That's not how this works at all. Heaven is not just up there. But heaven is real and provides us with a kind of hope that is so helpful when life is difficult. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is all that there is, if this is it, if there's nothing beyond this, then you ought to pity the Christians who go around proclaiming again and again that there is real life on the other side of this life. Do you ever notice how dissatisfied you feel when you get the things you've always wanted? Do you ever notice how an Amazon package, just a small illustration, Amazon package arrived, you open it up, you're like, it arrived, and then you set it aside, and then later that day you find yourself on Amazon purchasing another thing to come another day, hoping for that little jolt of dopamine to make you feel something. 
Imagine for a second that you could go back to yourself and, and, and 20 years ago and tell them the things that you had experienced and accomplished. I mean, for many of you, not all of you, but many of you would say, man, I would be so happy if I got to that place in my career, if I was living in that city. Oh, I get to live in Los Angeles. If you, We get everything we want, and we are so unsatisfied. C.S. Lewis once said that if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, heaven is not where you go when what you want most is Amazon packages. Heaven is where you go when what you want most is the light and the life and the love of God because that's where God is. And friends, if you're here this morning and you are unsure if heaven awaits you, I want to be very clear that God made a way for you to join him in heaven forever. And it is in and through his son, Jesus. Heaven is the great place. Secondly, I want to talk about the great reunion. When you think about reunions, what do you think about? Do you think about a high school reunion? I don't know anybody who gets really excited about a high school reunion. Maybe family reunions. Some people love a good family reunion. Some people dread family reunions. But we all understand that reunion is, can be really beautiful. It can be kind of glorious, right? Like we've maybe seen videos of a soldier who's been away from his family who surprises them and he comes home and gets to see the kids or a daughter who's been away at college and then she shows up and sees her parents and there's this long last reu- this reunion that brings them back together. Even the ones, sometimes you ever see this one where like someone shows up and they haven't seen their dog in like a few years and their dog recognizes them and you're watching the video kind of by yourself and you're getting a little you're teary and you're crying a little bit hoping that your children don't see this happen to you. Um, I don't know if that happens to you but it happens, right? We understand that there's something beautiful about the separation and then being brought back together in reunion. Well, the beautiful thing about the ascension is the ascension beats them all because the ascension proclaims that God the Father and God the Son who were together prior to the incarnation now are rejoined together. Jesus had talked about this in John 16. In John 16, verse 28, Jesus said, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world, and I am going to the Father. What was it like when Christ ascended and then was brought back into perfect communion with his heavenly Father? What was it like when all of a sudden he was in glory once again? What was it like when God the Father and God the Son were now reunited together? Reunions are beautiful because we understand that in separation, things change. And when we come back together, some things are the same, but some things are different. And here, when God the Father and God the Son are reunited at the ascension, something is different. What is different now? Now, the Son of God has a body. When Jesus went to take on flesh, the Son of God took on flesh, right, he He did not have a body in flesh in the incarnation at Christmas. He has a body. And and here's what maybe you haven't thought about before, but Christmas is forever. The incarnation is forever. Our friend Austin would love this. He loves Christmas. 
Christmas is forever. The incarnation of God is eternal. A human being now sits on the throne of heaven. Again, prior to the incarnation, the Son of God does not have a body, but then in the incarnation, he takes on flesh, which is amazing because it means when you get to heaven and then you look at the right hand of the Father, you look at the throne of God, if you were to see heaven right now on the throne of heaven would not be an animal, would not be an angel, would not be some other kind of creature. Right now, if you could see the right hand of God, what you would see is a man, a human being like us. One of us sits on the throne of heaven. You ever hear people like diplomats talk about like our man in the field or right that kind of language? We have a man. We have our man. He sits on the throne. In the Lord of the Rings, there's this sort of great thinking around human beings and mankind, and there's a longing for a man to once again sit on the throne of Gondor. When you're, when you're reading the Bible, what you should recognize is that right now, if you could see heaven, you would see Christ on the throne. And if we are with him and he is our representative, if we are in him, that we would be promised to be with him forever. Jesus says this. I love this. This is Jesus after the resurrection in the garden with Mary. Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me, Mary. I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. If you get Jesus... His father becomes your father. His God becomes your God. That's the beautiful thing. If you get Jesus, then God goes from being your creator to your father. Now, I don't know if you've done it. Some of you have great fathers. Some of you do not have great fathers. That's, that's part of what we experience in this life. But God is our perfect heavenly father. And Jesus said to Mary... If you have me, Mary, my father is your father. My God is your God. If you get Jesus, you get his father and you get his family. Let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? And do you know that his father is your father? Father is the Christian name for God. That's the great reunion. And in Christ, we can be reunited to Jesus, his father. Third, the great king. Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is reunited. But Jesus is not standing around twiddling his thumbs. Instead, Jesus is seated on the throne. Way back in the Psalms, we get this prophetic vision from the 110th Psalm. And it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The right hand in the Bible is a symbol of power and authority. And in the Bible, it, this, the psalmist is sort of looking forward to the day in which God will say to God, you sit at my right hand so that you have the power, you have the authority. And now the ascension means that Jesus is the one sitting on that throne, which means that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is king above any other earthly king. He is in control. 
Here's how Ephesians 1 puts it. He, God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's the ascension. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That means that right now, at this very moment, the supreme authority over all of the kingdoms of this world is in the hands of King Jesus. There isn't an inch of real estate there is no symbol, no power in this world that is not ultimately under his rule right now. We don't put our hope and trust in princes. We don't put them in kings. We don't put them in presidents. We don't put them in entrepreneurs. We don't put them in business leaders. We can watch King Charles get coronated and we can say, oh, that's nice. That's wonderful that you have a king. We have a king that is greater than any king. Philippians 2 says that Jesus is given the name that is above all names. This is a title of supreme governorship. He is king of all the earth. Our greatest allegiance is to Christ. There are no Republicans or Democrats in heaven. There are... That got someone out here. There are no other kings in the end. There are no other rulers in the end. Do, do you see the difference that this would make if you looked through any other earthly power and you said, yes, I may be under you now, but ultimately I do not serve you. I serve the one who sits on the throne of heaven. Imagine how Christians would live their lives if they saw their primary allegiance, not to any earthly ruler, but to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is one who sits on the throne who is good. The biggest lie in the world. The lie of the devil, the, the, the lie that gets us is the lie that God is not good and that God doesn't really want what's best for you. That's the, the lie that you are most tempted to believe is that if I really just followed God, listened to God, loved God, if I, if I did that, God would withhold good gifts from me. What the Bible teaches again and again and again is that God feels a particular way about those who are his enemies. How does God feel about his enemies? He dies for them to make peace with them and to offer relationship with himself by his work and not by yours. And, and let me just kind of say before I transition, there are too many Christians who want Jesus to be their savior, but not to be their king. There are too many Christians who say, Jesus, pay for my sin. I want you to die and forgive me, and I want, you, I want the gift of heaven. But in this life, I want to live as though I am in charge. A Christian is not someone who has Jesus as their Savior, but not as their King or Lord. A Christian is someone who says, Jesus is my Savior, and he's my King, he's my Lord. He died for me, he's forgiven me, I'm saved in and through him, and I follow him and worship him because he is good, and I know he is good because of what he has done for me. 
four, the great gifts. What is the king doing? Well, the king is giving out gifts. Like, imagine a king for a second who is out in a battle, and the king is fighting in the battle. And as the king is fighting in the battle, the citizens of that king's realm start saying, hey, king, like, when are you going to take care of us? When are you going to help us out? When are you going to give us something that makes our lives better? When are you going to help lead us? Like, when are you going to give us presents, king? You're our king. When are you going to do that? And the king is fighting in battle. And the king says, um, well, I'm currently in the midst of battle right now, but when the battle is over and the victory is won and I have returned and I'm sitting on my throne, then I will give the good gifts that I have promised. Well, that's the case with Jesus. Jesus defeats death on the cross and through the resurrection, and the ascension means that Jesus is now sitting on the throne with God, doling out good gifts. And what is our, maybe our, our best gift that he gives us? Is that the one who sits on the throne is advocating on our behalf. Look at what Romans chapter 8 says. Romans 8 says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Christ is our advocate. Christ is interceding for us. He's praying for us. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you? right now. What would you be afraid of if you could hear Jesus praying for you right now? What would you still be afraid to do if you right now could hear Jesus praying for you? Satan may accuse you, but Jesus just isn't on the throne looking at us. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. What greater gift could we possibly imagine than to know that Jesus is for us? Who can be against us? And then secondly, it's not just the gift of his advocacy or his intercession in praying for us. He also sends us his spirit. We have his spirit now. He is with us now. When we think about the ascension, you've got to imagine that the disciples must have been thinking, why are you leaving? You just resurrected. We don't want you to go anywhere. Stay with us. But Jesus is leaving them so he can be more present with them. He's going to now be with them in a much more powerful way. Jesus says, let me ascend so that I can be with you, not just in one place at one time, but in more than one place at more than one time by and through my spirit. Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me, Mary. I haven't ascended yet. In and through Christ's ascension, he is going to be more present to us. Consider that Jesus is praying for you. Consider that he is advocating for you. Consider that he has your back. 
Consider that he is with you by his spirit. How glorious is this? That no matter where you go this week, no matter what you face, no matter what you are going through, Christ has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you are in me, then my spirit is in you. And though you may feel alone, you are never alone. These are great gifts. Lastly, the great promise. The great promise. They're looking into heaven and the men say, why are you looking into heaven? Don't you know he will return? He will return. The king will return, and the king will make it all right in the end. Our world cares an awful lot about justice, as they should. We live in an unjust and broken world filled with people who sin against one another, who cause so much pain and so much damage. Some of us in this room have been the perpetrators of pain. Some of us have been the victims of pain. And we long for something to be made right. We long for everything to be made right in the end. And we can ask this question as Christians, is justice just an illusion? Is justice a pipe dream? Is justice just the kind of thing that we say, you know, it would be nice if things were different, but they're not, and we really don't have much hope that they ever will. Well, if that tomb is empty, and if Christ is ascended, then he will descend again to make all things right. And as Christians, we can fight in the battles against injustice and brokenness because we know that those things matter to God, because we know that justice is real, because they have their home in the person of Christ. We work with that day in mind. There's nothing you can give your life to. If you're giving your life to the things of eternity, then as you work them out, you know that God will eventually use them for good in the end. Because as Christians, if Christ is resurrected, then all shall be restored and made right in the end. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what kind of challenges you are going through. But I do know that in the end, all will be made well. Because I know who sits on the throne. And I know what he's promised. And I know he will return. So think for a moment about the ascension. Jesus is ascended. Heaven is real. This world is not all there is. The Son and the Father are reunited. Are you united to the Son and the Father in and through Christ? Jesus is on the throne now. Is he not just your savior, but is he also your king? Jesus is giving out good gifts. Do you know Jesus' intercession for you? Do you know that he has your back? Do you know that he's advocating for you and praying for you? Do you know that God is with you by his spirit wherever you go? Do you know that he will come back one day to make all things right? John Owen, the 17th century theologian, said that the ascension is a principal article of the faith of the church, the great foundation of its hope and consolation in this world. The darkness of our faith herein is the cause of all our disconsolations and most of our weaknesses in obedience. I'll, I'll, break that, I'll bring the 17th century to the 21st century. Here's what Owen is saying. 
Owen is saying, our lack of seeing Jesus now as ascended, our lack of understanding the ascension is the cause of most of our unhappiness and our weakness in obedience. I'll repeat that. Failing to see Jesus as he is now, seated at the right hand of, the God, of God the Father, failing to see that is the reason why we are often so unhappy and we are so weak in obeying. If we had the ascension of Christ more fully in view, we would be happier than we are right now. And we would be stronger as Christians. And we'd be more obedient than we are right now. When you think of Christ, yes, think of the incarnation. Yes, think of the crucifixion. Yes, think of the resurrection. But don't forget to think of the ascension. Christ now, seated at the right hand of his Father, advocating for you, awaiting for you to come home to him, promising that he will come back to us to make all things right. Do you see the hope? If you got this, do you see the hope that it would mean for your life? I hope you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is reunited to you at the ascension. We thank you that we have an advocate in heaven, in your presence. Jesus, our King, King of kings, Lord of lords. We thank you that he is seated right next to you and that he has our own flesh. We thank you that he is in charge and over all. And we thank you that he has promised that if we are in him, then we are united to you. And that all of the promises that he offers are available to us. We thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to us. That your Holy Spirit is your pledge to us. Your pledge that you will one day fulfill your promises. And by your Holy Spirit's power, we seek not the things of the earth, but we seek the things above where Jesus is now, sitting at your right hand. God, I pray that you would give us a vision of the ascension and a vision of Jesus now, and that that vision would be like a healing balm in the pains of our life, that that vision would give us what we need to obey. It would give us what we need to know that you're good and that you're in charge. That when all is falling apart around us, we would look again to heaven and see Jesus sitting there praying for us. Lord, I pray that we would be drawn to you. And I pray that we would make much of Jesus this morning as we reflect on Jesus ascended to be with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.